Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Program is produced by Matt Allen. I am the legendary Burl Bear. Talking about the fact <laughs> that I get interesting stuff in the mail. Right. And I got this report from the, uh, this organization that keeps track of every jewelry robbery in the entire United States. What time of day jewelry robberies of any place? No. Where the show is going is that I have a question about all this. Okay. And that is a question that could probably only be answered... By our guest. By our guest, or Thank a you. carnival huckster, one of the two. <laughs> Maybe both. <laughs> Maybe both. And so, our mystery guest, notorious, nefarious, Pavle Stanimirovic. You don't oh, have to call Johnson. Hi, here's the question hey, for you. Hey, guys. You, you know more about jewelry theft? I would believe that I, I know more about jewelry heist than anybody in the, on Earth. All right. I, I, by the way, I, I'll back that one up. I'll back that one yeah. up, too. Why are they most likely hit? My favorite time is as soon as they open their eyes, meaning, you know, uh, as soon as they open the doors, as soon as the, the company is still waking up early in the morning and you come out of the wall and they just don't know what to do. They don't know how to react. That's a, safe way, that's a safe way to do it because they're too surprised and stunned and not awake yet to do anything stupid. It might get somebody well, hurt. Well, I would suggest that the only reason why I'm your I'm your favorite safe cracker or you know uh, favorite heist guy is because we never hurt anybody, you know, yes. and that's that's a very big reason. And today, a lot of people can't claim that, and they can't look in the mirror saying, "Hey, I've done crimes, you know, without hurting people." It's very easy to hurt someone and to scare someone to make them submit with pain and, 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 and tremendous fear. Um, th this is why I still can't understand why, uh, you know, people would kill somebody for money. It's you crazy. know, this is something I, I cannot, I can't accept it. I can't comprehend it. I'm a criminal. I've been, I did time. I was with convicts and uh, with murderers, and I still cannot grasp that people would kill somebody for money. It's so sad. It and, is. Uh, and, and that's one of the I'm things that's you. gone up. More people have died in the commission of jewelry robberies when there are people there, uh, say, in uh, 2017, which is the latest figures we have, than previous. Uh, the disregard yeah. for human life is increasing, tragically enough. Very sad. Very sad how, uh, how things are done. And, uh, you know... Listen, if you're dealing with uh, that type of criminal and criminality, it's extremely bad for everyone. Uh, and this causes insurance to skyrocket, and not because of the crimes that we were doing. No. Uh, and we were more successful at it, you know, because what was my father's uh, biggest thing? Uh, no violence. Nobody gets ever, hurt. Ever. Ever. Never. And uh, uh, he, and this is why this lasted for so many years in New York City, and why we thrive. By the way, HBO yeah. HBO has a news channel. Uh, are you aware of that news channel Vice? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Vice News a, uh, Tuesday through right, Friday on HBO. Right. And uh, they called me, and they want me to do uh, uh, a few episodes or shows with them about a former associate of mine, a Russian Jew, uh, Felix Sater. 
Yeah. Um, he's, he's really nobody. He's a rat bastard in my book. He's no good. But what makes him popular to talk about is because he was with Trump, the president, and he was in Trump's company, which is mind-boggling because, I mean, not really, not really. Not really. I, I'm just, it's mind-boggling that they're calling me to talk about this creep. And the reason why I call him creep is because he's, a, he's, he's no good. He's a, he's a rat bastard, meaning he, he told on some really big, important guys and uh, for him not to get any time. The same thing that Michael Cohen is doing, he's going to testify and to uh, fight tooth and nail for him to uh, take his three years down to nothing, you know, to get time served, because he's cooperating now. Well, 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 uh, if you had the opportunity to do that, you wouldn't? Well, listen, when I had the opportunity to do it, I didn't, okay? Now, you can say, hey, this kid's crazy, uh, I should have been, yeah, you know what, listen, if I did do it, I would have had a movie deal, I would have had book deals, I would have had everything I ever wanted in my life, because this is what they do with people with that type of status, and I don't agree to that, because I don't think a person that, let's say, watch this, let's say uh, this thing that's happening with, uh, with the, the colleges. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable! This guy—he's like this heist mastermind creep. Yeah, he, he well, he's know? a creep, but he's a pretty, pretty and, smart guy. And uh, watch this—he took uh, over twenty million dollars from seven hundred families, right? Affluent families, right? Now, just picture something like this. Now, just imagine that. Uh, God forbid, but let's say that uh, somebody that's associated with uh, our radio that they had their child caught up into this or, or something, you know. Right. And uh, now, l- let me explain something to you. Coming from New York, that's called greasing the wheel, you know, basically. Right. You know, yeah. and, and that's what the mob does, right? So, uh, of course, the rest of America is going to be shocked, but, you know, sometimes, you know, you need to pay, uh, you know, people to open doors for you. That's how this mentality uh, well, that, that's the mentality that I was raised by. This is where I came from, the school that I came from. I know that's not right. But just think of that this guy that, that told you that he can do this favor for you, that he can boost your child to, uh, you know, to a college of your choice, and uh, you know, for some donation money or whatever, and, uh, and you do that. Now, this guy, he rats on you. And you have a radio career, and he destroys everything that you ever built. Because this guy, uh, the one that initiated, the boss, you understand? He's yeah. the one that's turning on everybody. He got, he got a deal. He's not going to go to jail. Oh, he's singing this like guy, a canary. He's, guy, he's mean, a mastermind. Right. Now, do you think that this guy's a nice guy? Hell like, no. What he's doing? Like, do you see he's going to destroy so many families, 700 families? You know, the way they painted it is very ugly. So there's always two sides to every coin, and there's always two sides to every story, especially a true crime story. And that's why I love you guys more than more than anything, because you guys like to expose and bring the truth forth, and uh, that's important. Because remember, not everybody's evil or bad. You know, sometimes people just get caught up in things, just like I got caught up in 16 years. You know, being incarcerated—that normally doesn't Pudge, happen. But you were a thief. 
Yes, yeah, I you was. Got caught. Why did I become a thief? You see, there's a bigger silver lining. Because your father was a I thief. I became a thief because of my surroundings, and I'm a product of that. You he know, was, ra he was raised to do that. Anywhere. I understand that. You know, like I was raised on records and born to rock and roll. Story. You know, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. You know, all I'm saying is well, what happened to me is exceptional. That this doesn't happen all the time. And, and this is why we're, you know, we're, we're speaking right now, you know, on live radio. Because the story is so phenomenal. Yeah, it is. It's the contemporary godfather, but true story. <coughs> you know, and uh, and I'm and I'm and I'm grateful to you guys, to Howard and to Burl uh, Bear and everybody in in this uh, office that you know because I respect you so much for doing always the right thing. You know, I mean, in my eyes, it's the right thing. I don't know what anybody else's, but I can agree, and and I can say that you guys are, are fabulous and always been wonderful towards me and that's, accepted me. Look, that that uh, shows our standards. <laughs> Look, let me tell you something. I'm in a business where you can, you can skirt it and go bad at any time. You really can. And I, I like to think that had I gone that route, I'd be a bazillionaire today. And now I'm thinking, yeah, I should have gone that route. <laughs> you see? You see? You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah but Howard, no one ever on their deathbed no, with their last breath said, like I should have made more money. To look in the mirror. Look, li listen to me very carefully. After all the time that I've done, I can still wake up in the morning and smile, look in the mirror, knowing that I've never ratted on anyone, that I never destroyed anybody else's life because I was greedy, because I was a greedy, uh, you know, schmuck, okay? And, uh... I didn't care about anybody else's life but mine, basically. And I, I, I'm not like that. And I'm very happy that I'm not like that. And I'm so glad that when I did have this opportunity to cooperate with the government and to go home the next day, no, the same day, and get money and get paid and get a salary out of it, um, I decided not to. Was that the offer? Did wrong. they offer you uh, to be like a confidential informant? Of course they did. They offered. Yeah, of course they wanted me. They wanted me to, you know, to turn on my father on on everything that I knew in my life. I had to. You see, well, once you take a deal like that, um, they try to put you in this bracket called the five K bracket, meaning that they can sentence you under the guidelines for you to get less than five years. Just like Sammy the Bull wound up doing less than five years for eleven mm -hmm. murders. Which is incredible. That's bizarre. Uh, well, when, like Manafort, when he got sentenced, I was laughing to myself because I know how the federal guidelines, they're so strict, and how these judges, they have these uh, uh, sticks up their butts because they don't budge for no one, for no one. The guidelines, I think, was 36 years to 80 years, and he wound up getting three years. Yeah, how'd that happen? Joke. How'd that work? I, I, you know what? I was shocked. I was surprised. You know, the, what I'm telling you is that they don't play favor to anyone, to anyone. And he didn't cooperate. He didn't flip on Trump. He didn't flip on the president of the United States, just like Michael Cohen did. And I was surprised that they pushed this character, you know, to, I mean, I should go to Senate then, too. I mean, she did, because, like, I, I didn't see any difference between this guy and myself, just that I'm a better person than he is. And he's a scumbag, and I'm not. But what I'm saying, uh, he was, he's, a, he's an attorney, a lawyer, right? A New York lawyer, and he was Trump's lawyer. 
and he wasn't eloquent at all. You know, being that he went to law school, he must have paid uh, people to get through law school or to do his. I mean, I didn't. I didn't. This guy didn't strike me as some kind of. You know, he was a bad man. You know, he's a guy like me with a degree, basically. You know, and and listen. But what I'm telling you is that he's a, a lawyer, so he's supposed to look out for the benefit of his client, which is the president of the United States. So. I don't know who he's blaming or who he's pointing the finger to when he knows the law. Yeah, he was pointing you know? it at himself a lot. I should have, well, uh, I should have done the right thing, but I didn't. Character, <laughs> this character, uh, you know, when people get obsessed with, with, uh, you know, they want to dismantle uh, today's politics or whatever, you know, or they, they don't agree with what's today, what. What's, what's an elected official, they don't agree with it, and now they're trying to use any type of way. I'm speaking, like, outside the box. I'm not a Democrat, I'm not a Republican, I'm a criminal. I actually, Florida State just restored my rights to vote. So, yay! Well, it took them long enough. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a criminal and I can vote today. Hey, I know why that I know there's, there's criminals that you can vote for. As a matter of fact, really? we're going to take a yeah, 60 second Punch, punch, we got to take a 60 second break. We'll be right back on True Crime Uncensored. Behind the scenes, true crime <laughs> coming at you. It's a, it is a true crime, ladies and Doberman. Search for Outlaw Radio. 
Then look for the red letters on the sign with the bullet holes in it and download it. It's free. Listen free on the road, in your car, at the beach, or in your backyard. It's all free from Outlaw Radio. This is Buddy Twist saying goodnight from Hollywood. And now, back to True Crime Uncensored, formerly hosted by Burl Bear and Don Waldman. But Don Waldman is dead. True Crime Unsplintered, Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus. And Mark yeah. C.G. Boyer. You know. Yeah, when, when Elvis Presley died, Terry McManus said, smart career move. <laughs> I thought it was. His 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 uh, all his stuff went up uh, triple and then quadruple. Yeah, and then more than that. And uh, the uh, German film company made a motion picture starring Eric Burden of Eric Burden and the Animals that had that was the plot. The record company decided to have him assassinated to boost oh, to boost sales. Yeah. Boost sales. Not a bad. You only do that once. I, I, I flew cross country with him. With uh, Eric, Burden? Eric Burden, yeah, it, great guy. It just happened to be he, there's Eric Burden sitting next to me. And uh, I told him he owed me a lot of money because I played his records for you know a yeah. couple decades. And he thought that that wasn't that funny. <laughs> no, he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, uh, I thought he. I thought he was very funny. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I found him to be quite a nice. Very, guy. very, very nice gentleman. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of nice gentlemen, Pavle Stanimirovic, the man yeah. who, the man who in his black ninja suit, in the midnight hour, slithering down the back of Forty Seventh Street. Leaping over rooftops, climbing up fire escapes ten floors. Is he faster than a speeding bullet? Hey, punch real quick. Have, have, have I ever asked this question? We've spoken so much, and you've been on the show. But have I ever asked you what your favorite heist was? Um, the first one. The first one. No, you never did. You never actually asked. Okay, me go ahead and ask him. Hey, punch. What was your yeah. favorite heist? <laughs> My favorite heist was the first heist that I ever went on, which was uh, I, I was I was just 16 years old, and I had to prove to my father that I can hang with the fellas, meaning that I was able to do what they're doing, and uh, by some miraculous reason, I had a heist picked out and my mom my mother my sweet mother jumped in front of me and told me begged me not to do that heist that she wanted to show me something in the morning on 47th street and I agreed so upon going with my mom to the city uh, she showed me this diamond a gem place that was a piece of cake. You know, uh, it was just, it was extremely easy to uh, accomplish if I had access to those backyards. Uh, Did Um, did you say you were were 16? 16. This is why I'm telling you that, yeah, my first million dollars I made was after this heist. I was 16 years old. And, uh, you know, being that young uh, and thrown into such an environment, you know, 
remember I used to I always tell you that I was the youngest and highest ranked member yeah of this uh, wild thing that they used to call the Yaks it's such a stupid name <laughs> but the acronym is for uh, Yugoslavian Albanian Croatian and Serbian and this is what the authorities labeled us in New York when we did these uh, jewelry heists and capers. Now, I was a guest of your show previously, and I broke down many different types of robberies and different types of heists, and I used to do them all, and there's different uh, ways of doing a heist. Now, I, I want to ask, yeah. interject here, Punch, on this first yeah. one you did, yeah, if I remember correctly from my uh, our previous conversations, you know, late late at night <laughs> when the moon's full, <laughs> that uh, you went down with a couple of guys and you you break in there, you take like a, a jack from a BMW to pull apart the bars over the windows, get in, you get get the stuff almost, out. Am I right? Almost, almost. Uh, that that happened a few months later after mm. this one. But the first one, uh, I didn't have uh, any BMW jacks or anything like that. This was, we had our office keys. Uh, it was located on 45th Street and 5th Avenue. I'm sorry, 46th Street and 5th Avenue. And I had our office keys. And uh, the gentleman that I did the heist with was, um, uh, I mentioned his name, uh, Macedonian. Uh, and him and my father were lookouts while I was in there with just one other fellow that was a relative of uh, yeah. the Mac Macedonians. Yeah, the guys out And there this guy was a professional athlete, and he did this on the side to make money, and he was very good at it because he was very strong. He was a few years older than me, meaning he was like maybe around 24, 25 years old. And I was 16, but it was my show because I knew, you know, the the plan and everything. I knew how to get to the to the company that I was going to be uh, doing that evening. And uh, as I said, it was like taking candy from a baby because of the knowledge that I had. And and uh, you know, anybody in my position could have done this. Now, not something, if I remember yeah. correctly, will you walk through the office for one last look around, and in come the cops. Yeah, yeah. On the way out, on the way out, when I came out, the on the side door, some uh, a pair of cops came out all of a sudden, and they were on my tail, and I couldn't believe this. I don't know how they wound up there, but we found out that they that they used to do these little sting operations and to set up like little. Uh, nightly watches and wait for burglars and heist guys to come through. And uh, they just happened to pop out when we were in the backyard and uh, they ran after us, but they didn't, ran, they didn't run too long because they didn't know the layout and they fell. Well, I know one of them fell in, in some, like, uh, in a hole or in a ditch with some air conditioning units. And uh, I, hope he, I hope he was all right, but, you know, he was, he was on my butt. So... Yeah. I, uh, well, I you were leaping across the air conditioning units like a very panther. hard to catch us. <laughs> Extremely hard to catch us because we had offices that were inside the Diamond District, 
and we were already inside, like we had our own company there, and uh, you know we could hide till the morning and come out with normal people during the day. And it's like you know it was, it was just the way it was set up. It was very beautiful, and I think it could only you could only do something like that on that large scale only in the in the diamond district. You know that that has that much cover and territory. And uh, but what I wanted to say was. Yes, it was a fantastic story. We stole millions and millions and millions of dollars of diamonds and jewelry. Uh, we targeted uh, mostly uh, jewelry manufacturers, diamond importers, diamond cutters, polishers, uh, findings companies, casting companies. These are all uh, people that work for the, the jewelry district, and uh, they make the wheels go round. Um, and we would go... And at night, normally, uh, and uh, we would plunder a vault, and inside the vault it would be anywhere from like $3 million to, you know, $10 million in cash. I mean, in, uh, in value, in gold, and jewelry, diamonds, and stuff like that. So it was very exciting. Especially uh, living this life at 16, uh, once I made my first million, which was at 16, I was, I was off to the races. Well, you and could get, you could get used to that kind of money. Well, that, the money is very, it's highly addicting. It's very addicting. The, the money is highly addictive. I mean, everybody knows hey, this. Hang on, Punch. At 16, hang on, Punch. Yes. Punch, at 16, how much was your cut? My cut? Yeah. Every time? No, no, no. I, well, this first heist we're talking about. The, well, my, my, my first cut was like a million bucks in, in stuff, you know, in... in um, in the swag, in so, material. So what the sixteen? You know, in that, what, in, uh, what, what are the sixteen? Precious stones. So it was like a million dollars worth, basically. What, what's a sixteen-year-old do with a million dollars? Well, uh, this is this is the whole thing that I had a uh, problem with my uh, my father at the time because he was restraining my money. He didn't think it was right for me to have all this cash. You know, because well, guess what? Would make, He's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was, but I didn't understand it back then because I did the job. You know, I did it. I pulled this heist off. This was, you know, he didn't do it. I did it. And he restrained my, my cash flow. And this is what made me do other things and go with other people and explore different type of heist. And uh, this is how I branched out. Uh, I swear to you, I was like the military. I was on everything. Uh, anything that was happening in Manhattan with a smash and grab, uh, a, a heist, you know, a robbery, a burglary. I was working and I was part of that crew or it was my crew, meaning I was taking all action. From 16 years old all the way till I was 23 years old, I was doing this nonstop. And this is the only reason why I did so many because when I tell people, yeah, I was part of like 300 heists, they were like, are you kidding me? That's, that's incredible. That's a lie. That can't be true. And I'm like, I swear to you it's true. You know, I promise to you it's true, you know, because it's documented. This is evidence. This is not something that I'm going to lie. You know, I mean, it, believe me, it would be, wouldn't it be much simpler, uh, Burl, if yeah. I said I only did five heists? Oh, yeah. Trust me, it would be so much easier. I would have a, uh, it would be so much easier because uh, people easier to believe five than 300. Off of just one. And this is why it took such a long time for Burl and I to compose 
uh, you know, it became a series because it's it's an it's an ever it's an everlasting entity of crime from those years, and the pattern does not stop; it just grows. Meaning, not only that we did jewelry heist, I branched out and I did Versace because I liked to wear Versace shirts back then. And if anybody can remember, they were like you know around two thousand dollars in 1992, which was a lot of money, and people couldn't afford that. Right. So I did the whole store, and I took <laughs> 16 garbage bags filled with Versace, just because I liked it. And I sold the sizes very quickly. As soon as I got them, that's how fast they went out the back door, because it's Versace. And I, and I took 30% off the price tag, meaning if it's $100, give me $30, it's yours. You know? Uh, and, uh, and, and that's basically, New York was highly corrupt, with people buying swag and stolen property, and New York was flooded, flooded with, with uh, criminals from all over, uh, doing all types of crime to profit. And my, as I said, my mom even got caught up with some uh, guys that used to bag, you know, expensive clothing and Neiman Marcus and... Oh, she got caught up, all right. She had Barney. five or six crews working for her. Yeah, she had crews, of, of, and they were stealing minks and bringing her, you know, Chanel, Escada, you know, Hermes. Top of the line... Oh, by the way, I did Hermes also. That was my nickname, Paulie Hermes, for like a year <laughs> when I hit that place, and it was uh, Paulie Versace. <laughs> Versace. And uh, we did all those stores uh, from Bijan... Uh, Gucci, uh, all those high high end uh, stores on Fifth Avenue, and we also did the Trump. I'm responsible for for robbing the Trump. I robbed a clothing store, a very high end clothing store, which you can Google. The company still exists today. Zilli, Z I L L I. That's yeah. the name of the. That's the right. brand name, and it's extremely. Uh, it's very expensive. It's like Brioni, and it's very high end. It's only for millionaires and billionaires. And uh, I, I decided to hit that store in the Trump. And I remember having all these jackets that were like eight thousand to twelve thousand dollars each back in 1993. They were made out of ostrich, you know, and they had like a mink lining and a silk lining. And uh, you know, it was just. If you're wearing those, don't people look at you like you stole that. <laughs> Yeah, well, listen, this is what I couldn't understand, that I used to go to nightclubs, and I used to also own nightclubs in Manhattan, meaning I was partners in a few of them, and I used to have a different Versace shirt on every night. And I'm, I'm like, shocked that they couldn't say, hey, where'd you get the shirt from? I was never questioned, and my name was Paulie Versace. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, people couldn't put two and two together. <laughs> you know, I drove a Porsche 928 S4, uh, in Manhattan, I, I wore Versace shirts, and I was very cocky, and uh, nothing like the way I am today. You know, I was very materialistic, uh, and I was young. Come on, I was 16, 17, given tons of money, tons of power, and obviously I was getting in trouble left and right. People were taking advantage of me and of the money that I was stealing, and it was just so much. It was too much. Yeah. And everything that we ever... Look, my father got robbed at least, I don't know, bro. Did we count it 13 times, maybe? Something like that. 
It's he's, a high number. He's it's lucky he lived. I think it was in 98 or whatever it was when they... He almost got killed. Yeah. Yeah, pistol whipped him uh, almost yeah, to a, death. By a, crew, by a crew of bad guys that I'm telling you that there's criminals out there. They use violence. They'll use a butt of a gun, of an M16, and crack somebody's cheekbone very fast just to make a point. You know, they don't fuck around. And when it comes to millions of dollars and doing heists, if these guys get caught, they're going away for life. And nobody wants to get caught, so they're very dangerous. You know, they don't play. They don't. They don't play games. And just like that one freak accident, the only freak accident that we have, Burl, that yeah. only one tarnish with the bank job on Banco Popular on Dykeman Street, where a lady took a bullet to the stomach. But it was the lady that set the job up, that set the heist up. So she was part of the crew anyway. It didn't matter. She worked for the bank as a teller, and she knew that the heist was happening. She went into the bathroom because when people are nervous, like before getting on the radio or TV or on stage, they need to go to the bathroom, their bowels move, and they're not used to it. The, they're not used to the adrenaline. They don't know how to handle adrenaline. adrenaline. So she obviously lived a very uh, quiet life, and she felt the adrenaline rush when we beeped her saying, hey, we're coming in to do a bank robbery, you know? And these guys were dressed in uh, security outfits that protect the bank. And they had loaded handguns, and they had the keys to the bank because when they entered the bank, they entered at 9 o'clock or like 9.10. The bank opens at 9.30. So it was before the bank was open. It was when they were setting up the registers, right. and they knew the layout. And we know because the company that I was partners with, Home Security, they did the layout and they secured the bank. So the same guys that are doing the security are the guys that are doing the heist with me. That's convenient. That well, of course. <laughs> and uh, what happened that day, why I, I had to go to the feds because of this charge, because of this bank robbery charge, was... Because right in front of this bank, what we were about to hit, there was a cop in a cop car eating a donut, drinking a coffee, just sitting there. So I decided to get out of the van because my guys were in a limousine around the corner, and they're ready to go into the bank once I give them the signal with the beeper. Yeah. But we can't do that because there's a cop right in front of the place. There's a donut shop right across the street. So he's right. sitting there just, you know, eating a donut. And we can't do the job. So I get out, and I go to the payphone. I dial 911, and I make up a story that there's a cop on the ground, that he got his gun taken by this guy. You better hurry. Send help. It's uh, uh, 150 Dyckman Street, or I gave the address. I know I thought that was MoMA's address. Ah. The address that I gave was one of MoMA's addresses. We, oh, 10 Post, uh, Post Street or something. And I gave that address. As soon as I gave the address, that cop car put his lights on and made a U-turn and went up the hill. And as soon as the cop car went up the hill, I was walking to the van. I seen my partner Munchie give the signal. The guys came out the limousine and they walked into the bank mm -hmm. with the keys. They opened the bank like they own the bank, and they're like, "Hey, we're from Home Security." And <laughs> soon as they, soon as they got 
uh, an upper hand and uh, they could uh, subdue everybody and, and control everybody. That's exactly what they did. But the lady that gave us the information when and how much money was going to be there, and, you know, she helped us out with the heist. She, know, she knows that this was going to happen. She came out the bathroom and startled the kid that had a loaded gun. And I don't know how it was loaded when I made sure that nobody had bullets in the chamber. And uh, it was just, you know what? You learn from mistakes, and uh, whenever you have a loaded gun, there can always be accidents. But what happened is she was, I guess, okay with it. She got a double dose of the money. She got two uh, cuts. And she was actually one of the cousins or related to one of the guys that were working with us, you know, from home security, or one of the guys that did the heist. Everybody's connected to everybody else. Accident. Yeah. So, so what happened is the feds, they had a phone comp on me for this robbery, for this armed robbery, for this bank robbery. Uh, FBI, you know, uh, insured. And that's how they picked me up from prison in New Jersey in 1997. And uh, this is how it all started. And then they said they, they, that they found fingerprints uh, on some uh, sheriff rocket launchers going to Europe, to Bosnia War. I don't know. It was just snowballing into something really big. And I'm glad it didn't because I used very good lawyers, the best, Robert Wolf, Robert S. Wolf. And, uh, and, and because of this, this is why now they want to contact me, Vice, you know, from HBO, uh, as a news thing. Because it's a news, it's a news channel, you know. So it's not like a documentary or movie or anything like that. Well, but it, it they runs, really want to. They're, they're, they want to utilize, you know, me. You know, like what I know about growing up with this guy. You know, and I know him from being, you know, show off and you know in nightclubs and him saying that he used to live in the Trump or whatever. You know, but um, you know, as I said. Like, they want me, you know, to do this. And I'm not really, like, really interested, you know, in doing something well, like do it. Basically. <laughs> do it. Should I do it? Yeah. yeah. No, you're going to do it. Yeah, yeah you're, you're going to do it. Yeah, it's not a problem. It helps. All right, I'll do it. I mean, you know, uh, if that's what they want, I mean, I'll give it to them because I know yeah, the The guy, more publicity you get, the more publicity you get. Know? We want you yeah, famous. Right. I, told, I told them if they could promote or move. Oh, by the way, as I said, uh, one thing, I'm, I'm making a, a film, a crime caper, uh, about the ball drop heist with uh, Steve Stanulis, uh, this, ball drop this uh, spring, <laughs> you know, uh, this summer we're doing that, and also we still have the, the American Pink Panther with uh, Mr. Stuart Benjamin and uh, Howard, which I'm highly excited because, as I said, we have so many opportunities, and we need to make and create movies, and we have all the content. And I'm very well aware that Hollywood is not a content-driven business, but they don't have our content. That's all I'm saying. You know. Well, it, we, we first have, it is a content-driven business. I know. You've got, I know, and that's you, sad. You've got, you've that's got, sad. No, it's not. You, you have well, to, well, there has to be something for people to want to buy. So content is... I like content. I don't know why, but I would rather go with, you know, what's, you know, what's the story about, you know? Like, that's called content. I think that's that's content. not content? That is. Yeah. That content. is content. Oh. Yeah, that is content. It's, it's content. Yeah, well, we often talk about a deal-driven business. Like, it, you know what? We don't it doesn't have a matter. Deal, what I said yeah. is this. What I said is this, that um, we're going to shine so bright 
that it's going to be impossible for them to look away because the story is a true story, you know, and, and that's all we need to know, basically. Well, that's how you we know? open with uh, the following is uh, based on a true story. Which, you know, yeah. and it's a fabulous, it's, a, it's such a sensational true story because, look, I'm a product of this, and it, it reached and went so far, and, uh, yeah, on one side, I'm so happy that my parents weren't creeps. You know, they actually had some affluency to, you know. Well, it, it, their, it, by the way, it skips a generation. <laughs> he was making a joke. I was making a joke. Oh, <laughs> oh the food. I get it. I get it. That's funny, funny. Very funny. Yeah. Well, all I, all, I'm, all I, all I want to say is this: that I promise you that it's going to be exciting, and I'm not going to be part of something that, uh, first, it's not true, and and second, it's not exciting. Because if this was true and not exciting, there's plenty of that. There's so much of that. But this That's is one thing I'll tell the uh, I'll true. tell the audience. Yeah, for the past couple please. of years, I've been working on this project with, with Punch. Please, please. And what I've had to do is leave out hundreds of absolutely incredible pulse-pounding ice because you'd get numb. You can't yeah, it hurts. read yeah. one after another, and each one of them is like a film. So, uh, you know, you just got to pick which ones you're going to talk about. And sometimes I'll read about what I go, why didn't I, why haven't I put that in the book? And then I realize if I put that in there right before it's another one, right after it's another one. Yeah, we don't want to bore people with that, trust me. We want to make it exciting. And and you know what? Yes, we give them the taste of the best, the, the most phenomenal ones. And then if they want more, there's always more available, right? As I said, as long as we have the paint and we have the canvas, we can paint this canvas. And as long as people love it or they like it, I swear if they engage with the story. Uh, yeah, one, there's an important the point that your dad that your dad makes when the conversation is in in uh, the forthcoming book, where he says we weren't like the mob, we weren't gangsters. This wasn't a gang. You could come, you could go, you could do one heist, you could not do another. We'd sit around. It was all very easy going. We'd sit around in the cafes, and we'd plot, and we'd plan, and we'd plan some more, and we'd talk some more. It was all very easy going. We weren't killing each other to get more of the money. It was fun. It was fun. And it was fun. Listen, listen, I need to tell you this before we go, but sorry to cut you off, bro. No, go ahead. There's an artist. There's an artist that's painting phenomenal paintings about the Pink Panther. And this kid, his name is Sean uh, Sullivan, and his hashtag is Layer Cake, like the movie yeah. Layer Cake, yeah, of New York. And uh, I just think this kid has phenomenal stuff, and it coincides with everything that we've been doing, everything that you've been doing, and also. I've been hitting the paintbrushes. And oh, I know. My I know. Club. He does some great work. You know? No, and I'm thanking you for this because you told me, find something that's going to make you happy because the process is going to drive you crazy. You know? And I took your advice, and that's exactly what I, what I did. And I started painting this January 2019, and, I'm, and, and I love it. And I love every minute of it. Um... And, I just and it's to starting to work for you, isn't it? Now, what famous person got hold of you recently about your art? Well, um, well, we have uh, the the gentleman that's uh, one of the most famous people, uh, the most photographed people 
on Wall Street, uh, Mr. Uh, Einstein Tuchman, uh, Peter Tuchman. I don't know if you know about him, but he's uh, very well known. You know, whenever they have like uh, any sudden movements in the market, you know, uh, they'll put his photograph, and he's like the most photographed person in in the world for stock market. You know, uh, talk on the news or anything, and he's. He's been interested in my work. He's been uh, adding a lot of comments that you know that I, I have uh, that it's fabulous and that he loves my work. So that's just that is enough. You know, kind words are enough. But yeah. you never know. Like you know, uh, I might be his guest one day. And uh, but you know, as I said, if it happens, it happens. I love everybody equally, and just like I'm your guest, you know. Uh, and I just want all of us to grow together because I give everybody props. And, uh, and and love. I, I love everybody back. You know uh, what we're doing is it's very. What can I say? Burrow, burrow. Yeah. You know that I'm, I suffered through a lot. You know, being that you know you did our story for like you know for the past few years, and you know that you know I suffered you know through our story. Yeah. And it's not easy. You know, it's not easy uh, reminding myself of what I went through. You know, uh, it wasn't all easy. It wasn't all peachy and rosy. Yes, I did have highlight moments. Yeah, I drove Lamborghinis. You know, yeah, I was in the Hamptons. Yeah, I've been here at first class. You know, I went exotic places. And uh, that was mostly when I was young. And then when I became of age, when I was supposed to do these things, I was locked away in the mountains, you know? And I was facing... Oh, an abundance of time. It wasn't just the seven years. It was going to go on forever. I had case after case, and I just didn't see an end. So I became a savage because I had to. I had to make a name. I had to leave a stamp somewhere. I had to survive, you know. And I was the type of person that, um, you know, I don't have no hair on my tongue. I, I don't have a filter, and I just say, say it how it is. And when you're like that, people don't like the truth, you know. And I'm very honest. And I'm going to tell you, if I don't like your work, I'm going to say, hey, I don't like it. It needs something, you know. And, um, you know, so I learned the hard way. My whole entire life was an uphill climb. Even though I did have highlights, like I said, I, yeah, I did wear Versace shirts, if that's a highlight for somebody. And I did have, you know, Adamus BK watches and, uh, you know, uh, Frank Mueller's and stuff like that. And a lot of, uh, oh, I had a lot of material stuff. Of value. Yeah, it's like I always told my daughter. I said, uh, "Toys break, clothes wear out. If it's, yeah. if it's a yeah, composite can, thing, die, it's going to decompose." When you die, what do you take with you? Nothing, nothing. Mm. So this is what I've learned. When I die, I don't. I don't need to take anything. I had everything already. Nothing impresses me today except good people, honesty, hard work. You know that impresses me today. Um, without reservation, without. You know, uh, some type of alternative motive, you know, because everybody has some type of side angle, and I don't like that. If you're an honest person and you, and you have some type of talent, which, which you do, everyone has talent, you just have to find it. Some people have a lot of talent, like me. <laughs> you know? And you, you just got to find it. Hey, always fun. Always fun to have you on the show. Oh, time already. Yeah, boy, that hour just swam by. It always flies by with you. Listen, I love you guys. Always. Love you too, Punch. Be safe. Talk to you later. Hey, Howard, ask me a question. I'm going to ask you a question right now, if you don't mind. Hey, bro. Wow. What's next? Magic Matt Allen, the Demons of Decadence, live from the Lightning Up Lounge.